From technology and acquisition to citizen services and mission execution, a culture shift is underway with federal government leaders increasingly seeking out solutions that disrupt the way business has traditionally been done. Here we connect with those government and industry leaders driving this change and delivering the real results in support of their agency mission. This is Keeping IT Brief. Today we are speaking with Matt Quinn, the Science Director at the Army Telemedicine and Advanced Technology Research Center. Thank you for joining me, Matt. Let's dive right in. Now, Tatrick and Netson have been featured in the NDAA and the recent Omnibus and also received awards for innovation and disruptive tech. What about this project is resonating and disrupting in a good way? Well, Netson, the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, has solved a real challenge for the pandemic, as well as it addresses a more strategic problem, which is how to bring clinical expertise to where it's needed, whether it be for other types of disasters like hurricanes or wildfires, for uh, military health, where we have to extend clinical expertise to the front lines on the battlefield in support of medics and uh, other caregivers, or frankly, for something as, as daunting as rural health, where uh, we have chronic shortages of providers in what are called the HIPSAs or health provider shortage areas. And so it's got a little bit of something for everyone, and it starts with basic communication, making IT easy, and then it's just smartphone apps, and uh, that we've really focused on human factors and usability. So if, uh, if you remember back to the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020 or so, uh, we saw some surges of uh, hospitalizations at, at at places that normally have plenty of ICU capacity, like New York City and and Seattle. When we saw this, we thought, you know, this is going to really affect places that don't have all of that capacity normally, or maybe don't even have an ICU at their hospital, or maybe not even a hospital. And there are going to be COVID patients there, and how are we going to support them? And so this this concept of delivering that critical care expertise from anywhere to anywhere w- was really applicable to the the COVID set. And over the past, gosh, <laughs> two years or so now, we've really built this from a concept through rapid down select and iteration into something that we proved out could work for one hospital. And then we've scaled this through multiple teams and with funding from our partners at the HHS Assistant Secretary for Preparedness and Response, or ASPR, to support as many as 26 or 28 hospitals at a time. So Netson has really uh, really delivered in the short term and is, is, is really starting to shape our thinking for the future. Just recently, ASPR established a new program based around Netson for all hazards response, and we've got our eye on hurricane season coming up on, uh, on starting on June first, maybe even sooner if uh, you know whether Mother Nature agrees or disagrees. Yeah. So, what are some of the innovative approaches that Patrick has applied during this project? And so, normally in you know military research and development, we have a set of validated requirements, and we work 
sequentially from lower technology readiness levels through higher technology readiness levels to to hopefully move from research and development world across into acquisition through something called a transition agreement. Well, as I just described, there aren't there really aren't validated requirements for virtual care during COVID. We kind of had to make these up as we went. And one of the, I don't know, call it unusual or or uh, things that we don't normally do is Patrick, with the help of, of MITRE, the Federally Funded Research and Development Center, hosted a whole series of visioneering sessions and prioritization sessions, really looking at the base functions that would be necessary to support care in this anywhere-to-anywhere virtual environment. What could be next? Meaning, uh, you know, as we looked at urban environments, as we looked at rural environments, and as we looked at uh, boats and ships, what additional capabilities could we add to, you know, basic telemedicine, telementoring capabilities to extend the capabilities to uh, address COVID, but potentially others? And then last but not least, what are the commonalities between what we're doing for COVID and what is applicable for large-scale combat operations in a multi-domain environment? And by bringing together military folks, civilian folks, academics, and industry, we were really able to focus what we're doing. Another unusual aspect of this is that we were radically inclusive, not just in those visioneering meetings, but in working as an ecosystem. Normally, military R&D develops a thing or a component of a thing. And then someone later on, maybe, integrates that thing into a broader system. Well, if we had any hope of having an impact during COVID, we had to build the ecosystem up front. And in fact, the research problem really is, how do you build an ecosystem? How do you get disparate systems to work together? in a system of systems. And in fact, that's really what our, our, our challenge is for national preparedness, but also for, again, multi-domain operations as we look at our uh, military supporting concepts for 2028 and 2035. How do we build the medical intelligence system of systems uh, where we incorporate humans, data, and machines to accelerate uh, decision making? We used other transaction authority. And as a, you know somebody who's been a Fed for a while, I've all I've never used OTAs. With great power comes great responsibility. You can move very fast, but you have to manage them in a little bit different way than than, than a contract because you really don't know all the requirements. And the, the way that we did it is we started actually with nine clinical and technical teams for Netson and and worked through a, a series of rapid down select processes where we ended up with four clinical technical teams and a coordinating team. That, that that's not the usual approach, and we did that. We we down selected over a matter of uh, weeks and months, not not years. Another key way that that we did things a little bit differently than usual: really heavy reliance on rigorous user centered design, usability testing. The model that is necessary for you know quick start delivery of telecritical care to uh, healthcare organizations without the need for IT support, other than downloading an app onto a smartphone, uh, really requires making things simple. So we focused on a few key functions, you know, telemedicine functions, 
security, some basic documentation rather than lots of features, and making them simple. In our first down select area, the performer's uh, quick start guides. One of the performers gave us a quick start guide that, I kid you not, was 46 pages long. That's not a quick start guide. So we, we, we gave him another chance, and it still just wasn't simple enough. And the teams that we uh, have, have moved forward with really have embraced that anywhere-to-anywhere model, the lightweight model, and, and, and really did rigorous user-centered design to understand the, the needs of both the distance clinicians and the local clinicians, and in some cases, patients with, with patient-facing apps. And, and then one last thing, and I was, I'm proud to say that we, we, we've been awarded two of the Disruptive Innovation Awards, one for Netson, but another for, uh, you know, work, work primarily with a series of medical device manufacturers in something called the Device Interoperability and Autonomy Coordinating Center, a, a way that we've worked, again, radically inclusive, Thinking like an ecosystem, you know, through OTAs, which means that we don't have all the answers going in, was an add-on to the basic capabilities for Netson. So imagine that you're a, a virtual intensive care doctor helping a critical access hospital somewhere in Minnesota or Idaho or Puerto Rico or Guam or one of the places we supported, you need to help them with a ventilator. You know, there's a nurse or a PA or a primary care doc on the other end doing their very best to manage that ventilated patient, but they need they need help from somebody who does this well. With basic Netson, with just the basic capabilities, we can help them through voice or live video, put the phone up to it and and and, and help them through that. But imagine if you could control that ventilator virtually securely from a distance and imagine if that virtual intensivist could see what was going on uh, so that they were informed. And that's really the second set of work. This involves standards. It involves regulatory pathways. It involves safety and, you know, clinical patterns. It involves manufacturers who ordinarily don't work together. In fact, they compete directly. It involves our nets and teams. And so what we formed under the program management of MITRE was, was the DIAC, the Device Interoperability and Autonomy Coordinating Center. That allowed all of those folks to work together to identify new project plans, synergistic project plans, that, and, and, to, and to figure things out like which standards are we going to apply? How are we going to implement them? Which functions of the ventilators, because we all have different functions, but we have a couple of common ones are, are necessary here. And how can we do it in a way that's respectful of the idea that we're, we're trying to do something in the real world here and, and we want to have an impact on the pandemic? And so between May of last year and December of last year, uh, I like to say we herded cats and made sausage in that DIAC to deliver a live demonstration with simulated patients and with the support and collaboration of the FDA of six COVID and military health relevant demonstrations of remote control of ventilators and infusion pumps. This is really unprecedented and something that we've never done before. And we did it rapidly because we did things a little bit differently. Wow. Now, what do you see as the future of Netson? We really have three directions that we're headed with Netson, or as we call it, Netson and the Tide or Technology and Disaster Environments Ecosystem. The first 
is, uh, and, and especially in the short term, we need to continue to, de- to deliver as a project out of a Army research and development lab uh, for the remainder of COVID. And there could be more surges in the future and, and a need for Netson. Currently supporting no hospitals now, and we're and we're gearing up to be ready to do that. Uh, and, and also, you know, in the short term, we're we're ready to support pandemics, hurricanes, disaster relief, whatever comes our way with our partners at Asper, and and some level of integration into what's called the ESF eight or uh, medical you know disaster allocation process. The second really involves working with Asper and moving Netson from a project into a program, really into the fabric of national, what's called all-hazards disaster response, again, for hurricanes and the rest of it, not supported by, you know, through OTAs or, or even contracts from us, but built into the fabric of our healthcare system. You know, I, I like to give the example of, you know, how disruptive this is in terms of, you know, how we think about Care models. It's, it's, this is this is not just about technology. This is about governance. It's about sourcing clinicians. It's about reimbursement. It's about you know lots of things. Uh, it's about licensure rules and credentialing. All of these things that all have to sync up so that it works again in the U.S. healthcare system. I, I like to give the example that imagine that there's a hurricane or some other disaster in Mississippi. The small, or, or even a COVID surge, right? Imagine that the usual hub in that hub and spoke model in the state, the academic medical center there in Mississippi, uh, is full. They can't accept more patients. They uh, have been destroyed by a hurricane. And so where do those small hospitals in Mississippi or, you know, some other state go? Well, in our Netson model, the, as we scale it nationally as a program, if available and part of the program, uh, a health system in Seattle could help them. Or scattered clinicians who are part of the program from across the country could help those small small hospitals with the critical care and other kinds of expertise that they need. It's really a new model, and, and it, it has a, uh, you know, unprecedented in its governance model. We also see this fitting and syncing with existing response models that ASPA runs like the Hospital Preparedness Program and NDMS and, and the others. But again, I can only speculate how we do that, but that's the second dimension. And then third, and really importantly for TATRIC, is building this into the military health system. You mentioned the, uh, the NDAA earlier, and I'm proud to say that the 2022 NDAA, you know, the, the comments from the Armed Services, Senate Armed Services Committee, called out my lab for our work during COVID, but also challenged the Defense Health Agency to leverage what we've done with Netson to accelerate digital health, virtual health, telehealth throughout the military health system. In our mind, how, what we've, what we've built, not just as an individual capability to, to deliver that expertise from anywhere to the point of need or even the point of injury, uh, has lots of applicability. But again, for our broader concepts, how we get multiple heterogeneous platforms to work together, to share data, how we add autonomy, remote control, and even higher levels of autonomy to the mix, and probably most importantly, how we take data from all of those to inform decision-making at Echelon is really a microcosm of that 
medical intelligence system, those systems that we envision for the future. So delivering on the project, building a HHS program, you know, building this into the military health system, we've got a lot on our plates. Yes, you sure do. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? I'd like to add that the I joined Patrick in March of 2020 from HRSA, which is the lead agency and the Department of Health and Human Services for federal, the Federal Office of Rural Health for underserved populations. And that was a great primer <laughs> for, for coming here and, and working on these kinds of issues. I, I just have to say that it's been, it's really been magic in this time working with our commander, Doc, uh, Colonel Dr. Jeremy Pamplin, who really has pushed us to think very differently, both about what we're doing for COVID and to apply it in these ways. He, he says every day, data is our currency. What we're learning here, I think, is going to have great applicability for informing the future of us. I've been privileged to work with Ms. Jeanette Little, who is the SOTAR for many of these OTAs and the core for our work with, with MITRE. And I have really just been impressed with, you know, this was new to her as well, and how she's been adept at this very complicated, you know, team of teams of managing it. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's our nets and, and tied performers who are an array of contractors, MITRE, Geneva Foundation, Avell, you know, uh, a, a whole cast of characters. And if I try to say them, I, I mean, Expression Networks, Deloitte, I, I always, I, I, I'm loath to do this because I always leave them out. But they've really worked very differently. They normally mm-hmm. compete. And, you know, the first phases of this were competition, but then we had to form a team of teams, a single team working towards this mission. And, you know, lining out what areas where competition makes sense and what areas where they don't compete, where we, we, we just need to collaborate. And, you know, one of those areas is uh, standard, a common data model, and some other things. You know, this has been this has been an amazing journey, and I, I find myself uh, I pinch myself that I'm the science director of of Tatric every day. I've been really enjoying this wild ride. That's really great. It's very inspiring to see all the positive that actually has sort of come out of the whole pandemic situation. You know, it it's true. This has given us an unprecedented opportunity. To innovate, you know, something I didn't say is that, you know, the, we, we've been working hand in hand with the FDA on this, you know, under under Dr. Suzanne Schwartz, folks like Dr. Heather Agler and Dr. Sandy Weininger have just been helpful, not just in the DIAC, but, you know, they, they've, they've released guidance documents. There's a current FDA emergency use authorization for remote control of pumps and ventilators. Couldn't do it without them. And for them to, you know, the, the, the folks wouldn't, have, the, the medical device manufacturers wouldn't have come to the table without them. Um, working with Mass General Hospital, Dr. Julian Goldman and his lab, folks, small companies like DocBox that, uh, you know, putting all these pieces together, it's, it, it, it's really been, it's really been amazing. That's great. Well, Matt Quinn, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for listening. For more podcasts by G2 Exchange Media, please visit www.fedhealthit.com 
and look for the podcast section at the top of the page. Music by Jam Studio, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated.